The Scritty Nurse Podcast episode is brought to you by healthcareproviders.ca. Attention hospital employees and retirees in Ontario. Picture this, a benefit plan designed for casual and part-time hospital employees and retirees who aren't covered by their hospital's group health plan. Introducing Healthcare Providers Group Insurance Plan, a friendly partner dedicated to your health and well-being. With affordable plan premiums and an exceptional support team, Healthcare Providers, also known as HCP, is dedicated to helping you every step of the way. Enrolling is easy and you'll have access to a wide range of health and basic dental benefits from day one. Already have coverage through your spouse? HCP still has your back. For less than $32 a month, the signature package, which includes life, long-term disability, accidental death, disease and dismemberment, provides valuable income protection and peace of mind for the unexpected. Take charge of your health and financial security today. Visit healthcareproviders.ca to learn more. Hi, and welcome to the Gritty Nurse Podcast, an unfiltered and unapologetic podcast which discusses health and healthcare. My name is Amy. My name is Sarah. And we are your hosts. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button wherever you listen to podcasts Google, Spotify, iTunes, or our YouTube page. Please rate and review us. Make sure you get our book, The Wisdom of Nurses, coming April 2nd, 2024. There's no better gift than giving the wisdom of nurses to nurses during nursing week. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Greeners podcast. This is our February edition of episodes. Of course, I'm going to acknowledge that it is Black History Month. But for me, being Black is 365 days of the year. So I think that, you know, although we have this month, it's always good to talk about issues and not just issues, but things that we can celebrate in relation to Black history. Um, today, we're actually going to be talking about a little bit more of a heavy topic. Um, it's kind of near and dear to my heart because I'm an obstetrical nurse. I am currently pregnant and I've had challenges within the healthcare system in relation to obstetrics. But we're taking this away from Canada. Remember flying to the United States of America, particularly Ohio. Um, this is a really important discussion, not just because it happened in America, because I believe this could happen anywhere. And I believe it has happened many other places as well. So today we're going to talk a little bit about Brittany Watts, her case and um, kind of what, how it transpired and our perspective from a, from a nursing standpoint, because um, nurses were involved in this case. They were almost pivotal in um, some of the decisions that were landed in relation to Brittany Watts. Good morning to you. In the United States, miscarriages impact as many as one in four women who know they're pregnant. Women over 30 are likely to have miscarriages, and if you are a black woman, that rate is even higher. Brittany Watts fell into both categories, but those factors didn't matter when police arrested her following a miscarriage that not only changed her life, she says it motivated her to help others. Warren, Ohio. I was born here, I was raised here. Outside of a courthouse in Warren, Ohio, a rally planned in support of Brittany Watts turned into a celebration. 
after a grand jury announced Watts would not be charged with a felony. I'm truly honored and grateful that you all have come to support me, and we are not done fighting. Thank you so much. I'm going to pass it over to Sarah and she's going to give an overview of what really happened in Ohio with Brittany Watts and the case um, from her prenatal care to what happened going to the hospital and then what happened afterwards. So Sarah, take it away. So this is a hot topic again, because at the Gritty Nurse podcast, we shy away from nothing and we want to tackle these topics head on and really just bring light to difficult situations. And, you know, what actually happened, because this is something that is really near and dear to us. And so what we're going to be talking about today is actually a woman who had a miscarriage who is now charged with abusing a corpse as stricter abortion laws play out nationwide. And again, before we dive into this, I just want to put out a little trigger warning. Morning. So if this is triggering at all to you, please make sure that you take time for yourself, know that you're not alone and reach out for help if you need it. Um, so what happened was an Ohio woman who had sought treatment at a hospital before suffering a miscarriage, then passed her non-viable fetus in her bathroom and now faces a criminal charge. Brittany Watts, age 33 of Warren, has been charged with felony abuse of a corpse. And um, her attorney, Tracy Timko, says... Ms. Watts suffered a tragic and dangerous miscarriage that jeopardized her own life. Rather than focusing on physically and emotionally healing, she was arrested and charged with a felony. And this kind of comes on the heels of last year's Supreme Court decision overturning Roe v. Wade and the federal right to an abortion, which led to a host of state trigger laws that went into effect across the country and placed new restrictions on bans on abortion. And in turn, some women carrying fetuses with fatal abnormalities have been barred from having an abortion in their home state. Other women with potentially life-threatening pregnancies have also been unable to get an abortion as medical exemption clauses can be vague and medical providers fear severe legal consequences. So before I go any further, I'm going to let Amy go into the actual timeline of what happened and share some of these details. Yeah, I mean, I think the the even just kind of looking back at the charges, she would have been charged with, like, like Sarah said, um, you know, abuse of a corpse, as well as she would have faced a 250, sorry, 2000, uh, $2,500 fine, as well as up to a year in prison which again is it's preposterous for something like this. So again, like advocacy groups were kind of saying that, you know, this is actually in a, a direct conflict in relation to the state's amendments in terms of protecting access to reproductive health care that was actually passed last November. And they also called this criminalization of reproductive outcomes and a very dangerous upward trend. And the same thing is kind of what we were saying. This, Although this happened in Ohio, I think this potentially could happen anywhere. Um, again, it not only undermines, you know, women's rights, but it also threatens public health by instilling fear and hesitation to women seeking care, um, medical care during their most most vulnerable women moments sorry and again we'll probably talk a little bit more about you know what black mental health and black obstetrical health looks like for for women and their neonates so kind of circling back to what happened with Brittany um initially she had actually gone to the hospital three to four times talking about her concerns in relation to what was happening with her, she had something called PROM, which we would call uh, the premature rupture of membranes, and also um, some another condition called oligohydraminos, which means that she had very mm, low, no, very, very low, low obstetrical yeah. fluid, uh, yeah. sorry, amniotic fluid. 
And again, the doctors actually said, you know, based on what's happening with you, this is not viable. I believe she was 21 weeks at the time. And they're like, this is not a, you're not going to have a viable pregnancy. Go home and like, you know, wait for the worst to happen. And I think even before like diving into this story, like I think there's been many cases where, you know, women are told this, right? You know, your water have broken. Um, the pregnancy is not going going to survive and you're told to go home like that are that in itself is a really scary situation mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and you do feel helpless and I think when I think back to my own practice and I think back to the whole ex- aspect of emergency medicine and obstetrical care it was a fucking mess okay like mm-hmm. one of the things that we worked so hard uh, towards was like how do we train ed nurses to be a little bit more, more compassionate and yeah. compassionate when it comes to seeing a loss and i know like honestly it's like they're okay ed nurses sorry don't don't fight with me but i know you guys are exceptional at many many circumstances but it's like when you see a pregnant belly it's like mm-hmm. all hell breaks loose it's like we don't know what to do here get away from us and to be fair i think <laughs> that i think that a lot of ed nurses don't receive training right so that's the other thing that's so, so they're they're used to dealing with like heart attacks broken bones mental health issues but they're not trained for this and the thing is this is a very fast paced environment. So what women need is that emotional support and the education and they're not set up for success. Yeah. You know? And I mean, I, th- <laughs> I think about the times where our leadership teams were like, okay, you know, maternity nurses, obstetrical nurses as educators, you're going to go down and, e- and train these ED nurses. They're like, they don't give us the time. They don't give us the resources. They want us to pull ED nurses while they're working to try to teach them about like prenatal stuff. It, it never made any sense to me. And again, it was just like, if you want people to be compassionate, you want to use these various guidelines that are created for ED nurses in relation to you know maternity loss you got to give people time and money to make sure that they can actually enact this anyways so back to her story she they did detect a fetal heart rate sorry and then eventually they said it was non-viable um and they said that her labor needed to be induced because of significant risk of death uh of this the baby Again, abortions are le- are currently legal in, in Ohio um, until fetal viability, which is around 22, 24 weeks of pregnancy. But it's banned after that point, except if a pregnant person's life is put in danger. So again, she was actually really unable to receive the treatment that she needed. She went several times and they didn't, you know, accept her up to the labor and delivery unit and induce her and actually kind of get this process going. And I can only think about being pregnant myself being like okay i just have to sit here and and deal with the worst i know what's going to happen as an obstetrical nurse that you're most likely going to end up delivering at home and that's what happened so um after she miscarried the baby did fall into the toilet she did plunge the toilet products and put the 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 products of conception and that's what we would call them mm-hmm. into uh, a container um, outside of her home Uh, She did end up going back to the hospital and letting them know. And this is where it takes a little bit of a turn for me. And um, it really says that, you know, she was, after she miscarried, the hospital staff notified the police department, which launched this investigation. And she said that she stayed to the police that she had taken the fetus out of the toilet, placed it in a black bucket, told the police that she put the remains near her garage. I kind of touched over this. And again, they actually did an autopsy on the fetus and determined that the fetus heart already had died in utero because of the severely low amniotic fluid. So let's talk about this piece about the nurse calling the police on this patient. Like, I think there was something doubly 
doubly wrong that happened here mm -hmm. so this patient has dealt with the most traumatic experience and i mean mm -hmm. there are lots of traumatic experiences but really losing a, a fetus is is traumatic and it is. um you know you're going in you're you're crying you're probably really upset and you know the nurses show sorry sir stroking <laughs> your your back it's gonna mm -hmm. be okay and then she's in the background like 911 what's your emergency oh my god this person miscarried like what the fucking hell like right? i'm just thinking from her perspective right so she was she was under the period of viability right so they weren't going to i mean obviously the baby couldn't have been saved but they weren't going to save the baby she delivers at home not knowing when it's going to happen i'm sure it was painful it was probably very emotionally stressful then she has to take the remains rather than even being able to bury it right she has to keep it in her home and then to have the healthcare system turn on her and call the police and i feel like they're just going up they're just taking this way too far right 100%. like considering this a crime when she's trying to do the best she can and she didn't receive the support she needed then to turn this into a crime and now it's all over the news i think this is just beyond ridiculous well it's kind of like i guess the question is like do nurses have a role in calling the police on patients? Do we have a right to do that? Well, I'm just going to go back to nursing school for a minute okay. here, okay? <laughs> and I never remember ever talking about our role in law enforcement because in my mind, <laughs> in my mind, we are nurses. We are in the healthcare profession. We're in the caring, caring profession. profession. <laughs> then there's this other profession altogether called law enforcement, right. which I frankly don't think we have a role in. I mean, we've talked uh, in different cases about when patients attacked nurses, right? And we've talked about nurses pressing charges, which is a totally different thing. I feel like as healthcare professionals, we need to focus on health and not on law enforcement and not on crime. When this happened in the woman's home and she was turned away from the hospital, essentially, and, you know, was told kind of deal with this on your own. Right. And like, I think to myself, and I'm glad you brought that point up, Sarah, that it's like, if I think about our four years of, of nursing school, do I ever remember a course or a teacher or anybody saying, if this happens or in these certain circumstances that you call the police, hell to the no, they don't even tell us to call the police for ourselves. Right, we're getting right. beaten half to death in the hospital. Right. Was, so hearing this and seeing this was very surprising to me. But unfortunately, there has been a little bit of a history of nurses doing this type of behavior. So out there, I'm going to speak to you nurses who think that you can call the police and criminal people now i actually think there should be a law enacted because you've now breached that client's privacy exactly your ass yeah. should go to jail because you should have never been calling the police that's not your role you know what the closest thing would be us saying hey you know what we might have some concerns let's notify a social worker and that's where it stops like it doesn't go right. any further than that or if a or if a nurse discloses something that she is or a patient i should say um, that we are concerned about them harming themselves or someone else. Right. That's a different story. But 100%. in this case, she was trying to do the right thing and nobody was harmed. The The fetus was non-viable to begin with. Yeah. So let, let, let's see what the, the police phone call said. So in a 911 audio was obtained by um, CBS, which was the, the news article that I'm reading from. I had a mother who um, had a delivery at home and came in without the baby. And I need to have someone... Go find this baby or direct me what I need to do. Did she say if the baby was alive or not? She said she didn't want to look, she didn't want the baby, and she didn't look. And again, Watts said, like, 
this did not happen. Those words never came out of her mouth. And she disputed this whole allegation by this nurse and said that she never, ever once said that she wanted her baby. I think someone coming in three to four times is not a, showing a sign of that they don't want their baby. Like, honest <laughs> to God, that's crazy. Like, Clearly, she wanted some form of care and she was not receiving it. It is devastating news to someone when they find out that their baby is non-viable. She was there several times seeking care. How would how would we put these two things together? They, they just don't go together. And then again, when her medical records, uh, Mrs. Watts' medical records were obtained, it shows that the nurse contacted the police to... And I quote, and these are in her nursing notes, to investigate the possibility of an infant being in a bucket at a patient's residence. Like, honest to God, this is the this that this is a bad this is a bad nurse, not a badass nurse, like a cool nurse. This is a nurse who friggin' needs to go to jail because that is criminal. That is a legal document. When we are documenting, you, what 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 are we taught? We're supposed to document the facts. Does this sound like facts to you? Or does this sound like hearsay? It's 100% hearsay. Did she see what was in the bucket? Did she ask more questions? This is absolutely preposterous. And I think that it goes beyond the nurse, right? So if the law enforcement received this report, they should have investigated it before they decided to press charges. So I think this poor woman is falling through the cracks here. She's been falling through the cracks since this pregnancy started. And this just gets me thinking. And, and if you're listening, you should be thinking too, why certain racial groups avoid healthcare. It's because of situations like this, where you go in for something that you think is treatment and you are harmed in the process. And the other piece was, so not only did she put this in the documentation notes, she also then alerted risk management and alerted the ethics commission in relation to this case. Um, and then uh, Mrs. Watts was arrested in October and charged with the family abuse of a corpse, which carried up to, like we said, that 250, sorry, uh, $2,500 fine and a possibility of a year in prison again this was not this nurse's role this is not any nurse's role this nurse should i think the the table should turn and this nurse should be charged with breach of contract i hope Brittany watts and her team go after this nurse and i just beg the question of unfortunately what ethnicity this nurse may be i was well. wondering that too i was wondering that too and i, I think would not be yeah. shocked it just would give it a lot more substance i think Right. I mean, I, I, I think mm -hmm. you, to be honest, yeah, at the end of the day, it shouldn't matter, but I, I know it matters. Mm -hmm. Again, I think here, here's another question. Would you say that this is a social justice issue, humans, right? It's issue, black women's health issue. I think it's all three, actually. I so, I mean, just from a social justice perspective, like what was she supposed, okay, what was she supposed to do? Was she supposed to bring the fetus back to the hospital for a fifth time just to prove what happened where right. I feel like that would be a total waste of time. It'd be very stressful. It wouldn't even make sense. And are we really protecting women here or is the law going way over the line here to call it an abuse of a corpse? Jeez, we yeah. don't even have proof of abuse of a corpse. She took the corpse and put it into a bucket, which yeah. I think is what she what anybody would have done in this situation. Yeah, I, would, I would even take it away from it being a corpse to it being like fetal remains of a, a non-viable fetus. Like it just... And I think this is this is a mistake on the part of the media, right? The languaging that we're using. It's not a corpse. It's not like a six-year-old man died and, you know, they did something to his body that was undignified. This is a fetus because in the eyes of the law, this wasn't even considered a viable pregnancy. So we shouldn't be using the word corpse products of conception yeah i mean absolutely and i agree with you like 
it's all three. It's a social justice issue. So if you're out there and, you know, you believe in reproductive justice, you believe in women's rights, it's all of these issues. And it's definitely, unfortunately, a Black women's health issue. Again, there's so many stats in relation to, to you know, the the negative effects and and really um, Black women's health care outcomes and, and also racialized women. So one of the things I did mention, like, uh, they didn't even notify her that they were including an ethics committee about her care. Um, again, research has shown that healthcare providers were the group of people most likely to report pregnant people for having self-managed abortions under Roe uh, Ro v. versus Wade. So self-managed abortions that um, occur when someone ends a pregnancy without clinical uh, supervision or support, and most likely sometimes through abortion pills, unintentional miscarriages, and sometimes can be actually mistaken as intentional um intentional self-managed abortions and also um like i said there's so much evidence that uh, that suggests that there's racism and biases that play a role in healthcare workers in reporting these types of incidences to authorities um there's evidence that shows that black women are highly are more likely to be reported in these situations as well I have another interesting stat here. More than 40% of cases, cases featured in the if, when, how to report on people criminalized for ending pregnancy without supervision of a doctor involved uh, minorities, racial, racialized and ethnic groups, making people of color disproportionately rep represented in the sample. So there was a report in September that was published by the Legal Advocacy Organization of Pregnancy Justice that showed that poor Black women were overrepresented amongst those who were criminalized, along also alongside of poor white women a trend that the re report or uh, uh, sorry a trend that the report attributes to the opioid epidemic's impact in this latter demographic so i would say it's all it's a social justice issue mm -hmm, it's mm -hmm. a human rights issue and it's a black women and racialized women's health issue as well yeah i agree and just um i think it is really a woman's health issue at the end of the day because this charge stems from the lack of knowledge and insight that men have regarding the realities of miscarriage and women's health in general and it's no wonder that black and other racialized women have poor health outcomes and many fear seeking medical advice when historically they've been treated with disrespect and even abuse right um, so before we go any further, I just wanted to take a quick break and there's going to be a message from our sponsor. This podcast episode is brought to you by healthcareproviders.ca. Attention Hospital HR in Ontario. Are you in search for the perfect insurance solution for your part-time and casual employees? Look no further. Meet Healthcare Providers Group Insurance Plan, your go-to option for ensuring the well-being of your team. With Healthcare Providers, also known as HCP, you're not just providing insurance, you're offering peace of mind. HCP's comprehensive coverage includes medical, dental, and vision benefits designed to keep your part-time employees healthy and happy. There's even a package that includes life, long-term disability, accidental death, disease and dismemberment coverage for those who have already had benefits through their spouse. It's time to bridge the gap between full-time and part-time staff benefits. With Healthcare Providers Group Insurance Plan, you can level the playing field and show your commitment to all of your team members. Join the community of over 90 plus forward-thinking hospital HR managers who've made the smart choice. Visit healthcareproviders.ca today to discover how HCP can help support your team in a meaningful way.
So we're back. And I think this is enough. That was a great pause for us to kind of now start looking at what the legislation is in relation to abortion rights in the states and kind of what's happening now. And really where we are now, there's so there's over a dozen states, most of which are in the middle of the country that outlaw abortion. So among these states are Louisiana, Mississippi, Arkansas, Tennessee, Missouri, Idaho, and the Dakotas. There's a swath of states in the southeast stretching from Florida to North Carolina that have also enacted bans on abortion after a certain point, ranging from six to <laughs> six weeks. Come on. Like I'm reading this just boggles my mind, ranging from six to roughly 18 weeks of pregnancy. Utah, Arizona, and Nebraska have also similar bans. Some states have also moved to protect abortion access, such as Ohio, which voted in November to include the right of an abortion in the state constitution. In 2022, California, Michigan, Vermont approved state constitutional amendments in, in, enriching, sorry, enshrining abortion rights, while voters in Kansas rejected measures to amend their state's constitution to, restri to restrict the procedure. Actually, in the most coming weeks, uh, in the most recent weeks, so earlier in uh, January, conservatives have made more progress in tightening abortion laws in red states. And actually, um, it, it was about three weeks ago, the Supreme Court allowed Idaho to continue to strict, uh, continue to strict and controversial, continued, sorry, a strict and controversial ban on abortions in emergency rooms, which is a huge blow to the Biden administration, which had argued federal law required that abortions can be performed as an emergency in terms of stabilizing care in hospitals receiving medication or Medicare funds. So Sarah, um, do you think that Mr. Joe Biden, President Joe Biden is doing enough to protect abortion rights? Well, President Biden, he has expressed support for abortion rights and taken some actions. However, opinions on whether he has done enough can vary depending on individual perspectives. Right. So some things he has done, though, he has rescinded the medical, sorry, he's rescinded the Mexico City policy early in his presidency. He repealed the policy which had previously prohib prohibited U.S. funding to international organizations that promote or provide abortion services. The other thing he has done is propose the removal of the Hyde Amendment. So um, this restricts federal funding for most abortions. However, this proposal would require congressional approval. And he has also protected something called Title X funding. So this means um, he wanted to he's taking steps to reverse charges made by previous administration to the Title X family planning program, which limited access to reproductive health services, including abortion for low-income individuals. So I think that the whole issue of abortion rights is highly contentious and opinions on whether he has done enough really just varies. Yeah. Um, but these are some of the things that he has done. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> if I would say that he's doing enough, I'd say he's not. I right. mean, I think, I think about it's so unconscionable that women are having to deal with this. And again, I think the the fear was that we would see more women that would, if, you know, they have an unviable fetus or they don't have the access. We, we've heard the stories, the horror stories um, about what women will, will do to, to protect their own lives in these instances. And I think that's just, it's unconscionable. And, I, and it, it almost makes me think about, you know, these Canadians who sit there and they're like, we don't have rights. We don't have freedom, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, are you kidding me? Do you want to go look, go, go. If you don't think we have rights and freedoms, you don't think we have, you know, the ability to make our own decisions, then go to the States where these places 
literally say that you can't do this in relation to your own body, right? I think people really need to check themselves when they're talking about rights and freedoms, particularly here in Canada, where we have so many, like, I would say an abundance of rights and freedoms. I know. And I feel like the overturning of this law really set the U.S. back 40 years or more, more, 50 years. It's really, I mean, I think if you're not really aware of what's happening politically, this would come as a shock to you. But we're in 2024 and this is happening. We're yeah, not making this it's, up. It's unreal. And I think, you know, right now the states is amid what they would say actually a maternal health crisis, particularly with black women being more likely to die and more likely to experience adverse events during pregnancy from women than women from any other races. And it says research does show that black women are 2.6 times more likely to die from pregnancy than white women and their healthcare experiences are largely marred by obstetrical racism, a form of racism that is specific to obstetric care. So again, um, unfortunately, and I shouldn't even just say unfortunately, it's just race does play a factor when receiving medical care, particularly in obstetrics. I saw it in my practice. I almost name dropped that hospital. I'm so glad we did it. But I saw it in my practice. I saw it. I think we talked about this kind of uh, many episodes ago where, you know, there was a racialized woman who came in and there was issues with whether she had immigration status here in Canada and this, that, and the other thing. And there was like, should we give her an epidural here? You need, we need to charge this person money. And I'm like, okay, so like, what's our job here as healthcare providers to provide health? And I remember getting that tap on the shoulder being like, Hey, Amy, could you go and talk to her? You, you have similarities with her. And I was like, Oh, what so because, because you're black <laughs> and she's black, even though you're from different countries, somehow you were expected to uh, take that on. Yeah, right. Right. And you know what? <laughs> it's kind of funny when I actually did. I was like, fine, sure. I'll go in and I'll speak to them. All these people wanted was respect and dignity. I was the first person who introduced myself. Um, I was the first person to ask them how their care was. And I was the first person to say, tell me about your experience here. So it had nothing to do with my race, but it had everything to do with the fact that the people who were caring for her were racist. And I'm not going to pull my punch because that's exactly what it was. And me going to talk to them was only the difference of showing someone respect and dignity while they're while they're coming into our hospital walls. And I think that's, it's unfortunate that we have, you know, these stats and we see these things, but medical racism in obstetrics has been a longstanding history. We see the history from, you know, from the inception of obstetrical care, how black slaves were, you know, um, used and experimented without anesthesia, how um, really the father of gynecology we shouldn't even call him the father of gynecology we should talk about the three women that he worked with anarcha and oh, i'm gonna forget their name so let's i'm gonna scrap that but we should be really looking at the women that he he experimented on they're the true heroes um mm-hmm. in this story i shouldn't even say heroes but they're the true the true pioneers behind obstetrical medicine Mm-hmm. And again, um, this manifestation manifestation of obstetrical racism consists of the pre uh, uh, presumptions, discriminatory beliefs, and practices against pregnant women um, and black birthing women. And again, just throwing out some stats: so black women in the U.S. are more likely to experience pregnancy-related adverse events than un- any other races. Um, Consequently, Black women consider pregnancy with a heightened awareness of the unique dangers it might present to them and their infants, and there are multi-level interventions that are needed to improve Black maternal health outcomes in the United States and beyond. And I could speak to my own experience where I could tell you um, I have a high-risk OB, I have a cardiologist, I have an internal medicine specialist, and I think all women 
who are in my position should be receiving this type of care. And I know that they're not. And it's very, very concerning. Right. And just going back to poor Brittany Watts, I wonder, I really wonder if she had been a different race, how this would have played out. Yep. If she had been a white woman and everything else hadn't changed, would this even be happening? Would she have had to go home? Would she have had to have this, uh, you know, fetus pass in her home? Would they have called the cops? And if if the cops were called, would they have pressed charges? Right. So... Uh and I, I just mean, think about like if she were to get pregnant again, how is she going to view the healthcare system? Like, what's going to happen to her if this happens again? I mean, that's know? where that mistrust stems from, right? The fact that these types of experiences. I kind of mentioned an experience I had recently on Twitter where I was like, you know, I went to a, a hospital that's close to my home, and um, I had a poor experience. And I, I was a, I'm a labor and delivery nurse. I know exactly what to expect. Literally, you do. But I, but this person, I can tell. From the time we stepped in the elevator together, this person judged me. And I I, I said to him, I, what, my husband wasn't there. I was there by myself. And I was like, you know, I just want to see how this plays out. And honestly, I played it exactly the way I thought it would be. Uh, she judged me. She criticized that I went, I didn't go to my home hospital. We'll have a conversation about this BS another time about home hospitals. She was like, well, your OB provider's not here. So we don't have your prenatals. Is this actually an emergency? And like, I'm a patient who has essential hypertension in pregnancy and she's now minimizing the fact that I've come to receive care and was chastising me and I think that you know for someone who has educate an educational background and expertise in this area if it can happen to me it, it's definitely happening to other women and and it's it's really horrible and I think that you know um even back to what Miss Mrs. Watts experienced um it actually just within the within the recent times um the she was actually she won't be criminally charged the grand jury said so um she won't be charged she will not be going to prison um that is the right decision that was made i'm so glad oh, that good. um she wasn't going to be criminalized for this and I, it she actually said that you know i don't want another woman to go through what i had to go through and she also believed that the charge was stemmed because of her skin color and just honestly because there are no laws behind um what you are to do in the situation as well mm -hmm. and she said even though she wasn't convicted many cases like this continue to have a chilling effect um and again the the as if when and how said in a post on x talked about mrs watts late, latest re revelation when care providers police their patients, they only make people afraid to go in to receive care. And I think that is like the last thing that we want, right? Mm -hmm. um, and I kind of mentioned this in my own experience and I felt the same way. And it's just like, at the end of the day, all when someone's coming to the hospital, what they want is to receive care. If you put people in a situation in which you've made them fearful, you've made, you've, you've harmed them in a psychological way, then they won't want to come back. And most likely their healthcare outcomes will be worse. And that is 100% the onus is put on the nurses, the healthcare team. And I think that, you know, this is why I think this nurse should be made an example of. And I think that all these organizations tout themselves as being patient-centered, right? This is the complete opposite of being patient-centered. And I just think that, you know, we're harming people here. We're not providing the care. I just think about all the wasted resources that went into this case. And I really wish that there would be some sort of law where if something like this were to happen again, that someone wouldn't be criminally charged. If there's a gray area as to what 
should have happened. I think there should be some clarity yeah. as a result of this case. And again, I think when I think about even Canada, right? So at least at least the U.S. has stats to say here are the very clear inequities that are happening. We don't collect race-based data. Like we're mm-hmm. we're slowly treading towards and we're uh, moving towards that. But when it comes to Black maternal morbidity and mortality or neonatal stats for Black and racialized folks, we don't collect it. So we don't even know how bad it is here. And I could, I could tell you, it's bad. I actually had a conversation with one of my cardiologists with my cardiologist recently, and we were discussing some um, cases of a, a condition which she's checking me for, which is called a postpartum my- myopathy. And he said, he's he's like, I saw three in one week. And he's like, and he's like, I never have. He's like, in my entire practice, he's like, that's just so so random. And I said, do you mind a- answering questions for me? He's like, sure. And I was like, how many of those out of the three patients, how many of them were racialized? And he literally said all of them. And that just like took me back. And I just said, wow. He's like, yeah, two, he's like, two were South a- Southeast Asian and one was black. And I said, you know, that's very concerning. And he's mm-hmm. like, it is. And he's like, again, we don't collect that information. That Can information I, just yeah. goes into the, uh, into people's memories. Right. So just a question for you then, this person, was this person racialized? My cardiologist is racialized. Yeah. My whole care team, to be honest, is racialized. So like my obstetric, uh, my high risk OB is um, a racialized physician. Um, My internal medicine specialist is racialized. Um, And so it was my cardiologist. They're not not all black, but they're all racialized. They're all visible minorities. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And um, I think this was actually something that's really important to my care because I think that they're really taking the time to understand what's happening with me. And I think that um, I don't think I don't I'll be honest, I don't think a lot of women um, in my particular situation get this level of detail or attention paid to them. And it's it is disturbing. It's disturbing because. I think these individuals are taking the time to look at the most evidence-based statistics in relation to maternal morbidity and neonatal uh, morbidity and mortality and are not using me as a guinea pig, but saying, okay, here are the things that you need to do. So like, right when I found out I was pregnant, it's like, okay, you need to take, um, you need to take um, 81 milligrams times two of ASA every night. You need, here's your regimen for your, you know, your labetalol and your nifedipine here. Like I have, constant appointments like every two weeks at this point seeing my ob every two weeks seeing my internal medicine specialist i just my cardiologist kind of just went through the whole gamut but i I don't think a lot of women get this Mm -hmm. this level of prenatal care who's had my obstetrical history where i've had i've had preeclampsia i ended up having help syndrome i had postpartum complications but i know that my care team is looking out not just for me but for my baby and i i just know that Unfortunately, there are many women who are in my situation that's not getting that level of attention. So if I could bring any attention or alert to the fact that this is how your care should look like, maybe it'll alert women to to say, hey, uh, to advocate for themselves in these positions. I know they shouldn't have to, mm-hmm. but um, it at least be able to, you know, say, hey, this is what is this is what's you know expected. This is the standard of care that I should be receiving. Yeah, and I think that any healthcare professionals listening, before you label a pla- a patient as non-compliant, I think you should really take the time to understand their journey through the healthcare system and what's happened to them because they're trying to protect themselves and they've been harmed. And if you think about 
just, you know, trauma that people go through, having to relive that, like even going back to the same hospital where you had a really bad experience is hard. So let's be a bit more understanding and not label people as non-compliant um, and really just treat them like human beings. Yeah. And follow the evidence. Like, I mean, I, I guess we're kind of rounding to the end of the episode where we're kind of talking about what needs to change in terms of maternal health and how do we keep all women safe? And, you know, how do we keep black women safe that are pregnant? And I think, again, we're, we need to look at legislation, particularly in the States. I think that, you know, <laughs> there's an upcoming election and, uh, I'm I'm very concerned. I mean, uh, as a mm. Canadian, we watch U.S. news as well. I, I some people would say that we don't have skin in the game, but the shit rolls <laughs> down the hill or sometimes mm -hmm, up the mm -hmm. hill. You know what I yep. mean? And I think that you know, um, if it's a woman's healthcare issue in the U.S., it's a woman's healthcare issue in Canada. It's a woman's healthcare issue across the world. We all we need to partner with each other to make sure that you know we are all of our rights as women are being protected. And again, that we're enacting laws and policies that are in within our best interests. And then again, are we making sure that these laws are equitable and that we're seeking we're we're trying to work towards a health equity framework in relation to you know some of the statistics that we have again Canada smack you on the back we've got a lot of work to do in terms of collecting uh, proper race-based data and really seeing how we can improve women and their neonates outcomes um, it's a lot of work ahead but it's it's important work um, what else would you say that we need to how do we again continue to strengthen maternal health and keeping all women safe well, I think we just honestly need to work together because at the end of the day, this affects all of us. I don't want to live in a country where it's dangerous to be a woman or it's dangerous to have a baby. Like we should really be protecting each other. And I think the other thing is with the data, like I know my um, quality improvement hats coming on, but you can't change what you don't track. So right. if you don't actually have numbers, how do you know you're making a difference or how can you make a change? Right. So just anybody listening out there who has any skin in the game, I think we really just at a minimum need to start tracking the data. Yeah. And again, like just echoing the last little bit of what Sarah said, we do need to stand together. And I mean, I don't know if we need to go wear breast hats or vagina hats to make that happen. Okay. I don't know what you've been watching, but no, like, you see them, they like, we're the, like, I'm not doing that. You, I'm not saying I would do it. I'm saying I don't think we have to. Okay. But I'm just saying, you know, like, I think in terms of just, understanding that you know if it's a social justice women's issue it still is a women's rights issue uh, yes there's there's there i'm not going to get into it today about the history of of white feminism and feminism in general but at the end of the day we do need to stick together and and if and if you see that it's an, an issue that's affecting just a particular race or particular ethnic group that is still an issue that you need to be fighting for and 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 raising your voice and the last piece is really just like we all need to speak up, right? We're we're all in this. We all have skin in the game. We all got vaginas and breasts. We need to like figure this out because at the end of the day, um, we need to protect ourselves. We're seeing the degradation of healthcare just in general here. And we're seeing that even like gynecological rates, like for example, um, I saw a statistic related to um, endosurgery. Um, Canada's doing like abysmally like we're in the last place in terms of getting access and having surgical times um related to endosurgery uh do you think a man's gonna wait like two three years to deal with like penal issues oh Probably hell no not. so again <laughs> this is where we need to come bring our collective voices together you know pull other healthcare providers other people if you if you if you have a uterus you got you got some skin in the game so let's get together and do this all right thanks for listening everyone thank you 
Take care. Thank you for listening to the Gritty Nurse Podcast. If you have any suggestions or want to hear a specific topic, email us at grittynurses at gmail.com. That's grittynurses at gmail.com. We are also speakers and upcoming authors available for engagements related to advocacy, nursing, mental health, and health policy. Please connect with us.